Uh, tonight, we're continuing our series on the parables. We're in Luke chapter 12. The parable is the rich fool. I want to read it together with you, and then uh, we'll get into the text. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13, says this. It says, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I've got nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I asked my son Joshua, who's almost 10, this question this morning. I said, Joshua, how much money do you feel like you would need for the rest of your life? Nine-year-old, right? Almost 10-year-old. And he looks, he's also a pastor's kid. So the first thing he said was, is this where I'm supposed to say I don't need any money for the rest of my life, Dad? I said, no. I said, you need money. You're going to need money. You're going to need to pay the bills. You're going to need to have a, a car and, and have gas in the car and put food on your table. You know, you're going to need all those things. So how much money do you need? And, and Joshua, again, who's nine years old, he said... I think $700,000, $700,000 should get me from now until the end of my life. So uh, that's from the mind of a, a nine-year-old. He's, he can't even fathom what uh, $100 would get him, let alone $700,000. That's a massive number for him. But he's thinking, yeah, that, that would handle it to get me to the rest of my life. All of us have some number and, and maybe not a specific number, but we have an idea of what we feel like we need. What we feel like, you know what, God, if, if I, the rest of my life could look like this, if I could get this much money, if I could make this much money, if I could land a job that would pay me this much, if I could live here, if I could have this kind of house, then I'd be set for the rest of my life. And Jesus is addressing this idea of wealth and possessions and uh, materialism in our parable tonight, but maybe not in the way that you'll think he does. Jesus never told a random parable. In other words, he never just stopped down and was like, hey, you know what? Uh, let me tell you a, a random story that's going to confuse a lot of you, but some of you are going to understand. He always told it for a reason. A parable is a story with a point, right? It's a, it's a story with a moral. And he's always, typically, he, he, he told it in response to a, a question or in response to an interaction with somebody. And that's true of this parable as well. Jesus has just come off of a pretty intense period of teaching. He's teaching about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 12. And then he's encouraging them to not have any fear, his followers and the crowds that are around them. He says in chapter 12, verse 4, Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do, but fear him who after he is killed has the authority to cast into hell. So this is heavy stuff that Jesus has been talking about. And then he's talking about in verse 8 and following, Look, if, if you acknowledge me before my Father in heaven, I'm going to acknowledge you. But if you're ashamed of me, then when we get to heaven, I'm going to be uh, ashamed of you. When, when you're standing before me, I, I won't be uh, willing to, to call you my own when we're uh, before the Father. And so this is, again, weighty and heavy stuff. But then you've got this guy, someone in the crowd, who says, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We all know this guy, right? 
Again, Jesus is talking about serious stuff, heavy stuff, weighty stuff. And this is the guy that's like, hey, you know what, teacher, rabbi, tell my brother to quit being such a jerk. Tell him to, to split the money with me. Like, this is a total non sequitur. This, this doesn't line up with anything that Jesus has been talking about at all. This is out of left field that this guy comes and, and shouts to Jesus, hey, my brother and I, our, our parents just died, and there's this fatty inheritance waiting for us, and he's not being fair to, to me. He needs to divide it, and so you should tell him to divide it. And Jesus initially responds, and he says, dude, what does this have to do with me? Who am I to divide family disputes? But because Jesus is a master teacher, he takes it and he spins it, this, this question that this guy asked him about dividing the inheritance of his parents, and he, he spins it to this parable that he gives about our possessions, about our materials, about the wealth that we have in our lives. And he says here at the end, as he spins the statement ultimately, he says, take care and be on guard lest, or be on guard against all covetousness. For, he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, life is more than what you own. It's more than what you own. It's more than what you earn. It's what, more than what you make. It's more than the house that you live in, the type of car that you drive, the clothes that you wear, whatever it is. Your life is worth more than that. It amounts to more than that. It consists of more than that. But the world that we live in, in the, the, the culture that we live in, especially here in Southern Orange County, uh, preaches a different message to us, doesn't it? In fact, this is not even just South OC, but this is just the, the world. These are a couple of accounts on Instagram that I, I found in, in preparing for this. The, the first one is Lux Your Life, uh, spelled obviously really well, um, with a Y for life and, uh, and everything. But it, it has 83.8 thousand followers of this account. And all this account is, as you can see up there on the left, are just pictures of money. Just stacks of money, different currencies, different denominations, different uh, nationalities and, and representations there. But all they do is put up pictures of giant stacks of money. And there's almost 84,000 people that are like, I want that in my daily Instagram feed. It doesn't make any sense at all to me. I look at that. And I'm like, why? what are you? Why? Right? Because people are thinking, I, I want that. I want that to be my future. And then there's this other one, millionaire.asset, right? Millionaire.asset. By the way, disclaimer, I scrolled through most of these. I didn't see anything objectionable, but just don't, I, I don't follow these, right? It's, my whole point is this is absurd. This is ridiculous. If you already do follow them, unfollow them tonight. Uh, millionaire asset. And so these are all things that people that have a lot of money buy and they want. You know, you've got the, the yacht, you've got the, the souped up sports car there. You've got the, uh, the palace down here, you've got both the, the house and the car right there. And this is what the world is, is offering to us. And this account has 110,000 followers to it. Now, that's not in the millions, but that's 110,000 people that are like, yeah, I, I want to be paying attention to, uh, you know, what they have to say about what rich people like and what rich people want to buy. And that's just two accounts. And had I wanted to waste more time, I could have found plenty of more, but there's car shows, there's TV shows, there's everything about what we should own and what successful people buy. And so we as, as Christians have to believe against that message. We have to choose not to buy into this message that our life is measured by our bank account. Our life is measured by our paycheck. Our life is measured by the type of house that we live in, what our zip code is, whatever it may be. We have to, to choose to realize that our life is worth far more than that, that that doesn't define who we are. Far from it. In fact, regardless of your material blessings, whether you've got 
a lot of money, whether you come from no money, whether you're hoping to have a lot of money or whether you're hoping to say, you know what, I'm just content with what I have and and being able to put food on the table, regardless of where you are with your material blessings this side of eternity, you have to understand what this parable is going to communicate. And that is that our goal is ultimately be above and beyond everything else. We want to be rich towards God. We want to be rich towards God. And that's what Jesus is talking about as he unpacks this story for us, this story with a point. Well, the parable sets out and it begins with this man who has a, a crop and it says in verse 16, the land of a rich man. So it's, it's already a rich man, right? It's already a guy who's doing well for himself. And it's the land of the rich man produced a plentiful crop, produced plentifully. Now, we're not in a, a, a farming society, a farming culture here, but this was a good thing, right? This is, this is a, a good day for this guy to go out uh, on harvest time and see that, man, this is a crop unlike anything that he's ever experienced before. In fact, what we find later is this is going to even overflow what he's prepared to store, what he's prepared to, to keep in his barns. The word plentifully there, it's a, it's a word that is, is unique to this text, and it means that it's, it's abundant beyond measure, beyond means. It's, it's absurd how much this crop returns for this guy. And on the surface, again, this is a good thing. He's re- re- received a, a massive return on his investments. He had farmed, he had labored, he had purchased the seed and, and sowed the fields, and now he goes out and he sees that his crop is producing bountifully. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing as we start out here that this guy has a lot of crops, that his, his field is producing the way that he hoped it would, that he dreamed that it would. Some of you guys have jobs and you work really hard in the jobs that you have and you apply yourself and you're faithful to it and it pays off. You've got a nice paycheck and you're able to put that away and you're able to, to enjoy that. It's not a bad thing to work hard and to get a return on the investment of your time and efforts that you're putting into things. Sometimes you might even get a raise or a bonus or recognition for what you're doing in your job. And, and again, that's not a bad thing. In fact, in 1 Timothy 6.10, we see that having money or having resources, having possessions isn't the problem. Paul doesn't tell Timothy money is the root of all of evil. What does he say? He says the love of money is the root of all evil. And so having possessions isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, we need to understand what James says in James chapter 1, verse 17. There James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow or variation due to change. So when James says every good and perfect gift comes from above, does that include your house? Yes. Does that include your car? Yes. Does that include your, your paycheck that you get? Yes, it does. The food that you're able to put on, on your table, the clothes that you wear, those things are gifts from God. They're good, and they come from the Father in heaven. And guys, that, that includes our, our money. That includes our finances. That includes your bank account. Your bank account is filled with X number of gifts that the Lord has given you, that the Lord has blessed you with. And so it's not something that we need to sit here and go, wow, well, I have money, and that's something I should feel guilty of. Or it's not something that we should sit here and say, well, I don't have money, and everybody who does have money is sinful or wrong, or they need to be ashamed of that. That's not it at all. You, you can't back that up biblically anywhere. Having possessions, having money, having resources is not something to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. God has given that to you or will give that to you potentially in the future. 
And it's, it comes down to making sure that we recognize that he's the one that's given that to us, like James does in James 1.17. We need to make sure that we're not making the mistake of thinking that having possessions are the problem. And that's our first point tonight. It's this. Understand, possessions aren't the problem. Possessions aren't the problem. Possessions, money, wealth iPhones, iPads, TVs, cars, houses, video game systems. Uh, are those things inherently evil in and of themselves? No, they're not. They're neutral. They're not inherently good. They're not inherently bad. They're, they're, they've got potential to be used for either of those things. But in and of themselves, they're, they're just neutral. That's why Paul didn't tell Timothy, money is the root of all evil. But he says the, the love of money is the root of all evil. As with anything, God gives you these things to be used for his glory. And so the reason why we can say possessions aren't a problem is because God's given us our possessions, given us our bank accounts, given us our homes, given us the car that you drive, whatever you have, and he's given it to us for one purpose. And what's that purpose that God's given us these things? To glorify him, right? To exalt him, to, to, to use these as tools to glorify God. You know, guys, I, I know people who are, by our definition and our standards, just crazy wealthy and crazy rich. And they're using their money for good. They're using their money to, to support churches, to support missionaries, to see that the kingdom of God expanded through the gospel going forth. In fact, one of the guys I know, he and a, a friend of his wrote the software that became TurboTax that Intuit bought out from them. So Intuit bought this from them, and they retired in their 30s. Like, and, and at this point, he was an unbeliever. And so he retired and he was like, I'm, I'm moving to England. And that's what he did. And he lived high in, in England for a long time. But then he came back here and he got saved. Well, now guess what he's doing, guys? He's using the money that God has given him to keep churches' doors open, literally keep churches' doors open for a period of time. But he's also using it to support missionaries who are on the mission field and, and do a lot of, of great things that the church needs money to be able to, to, to do. So having people who have money is not a, a bad thing. We can't, we've got to guard, guys, against that idea of looking at somebody who's wealthy and judging them as being inherently materialistic or inherently uh, arrogant or prideful or greedy or covetousness. Those two things are not all the time equivalent. Are there people who are arrogant and greedy and covetous who, are, who have a lot of money? Absolutely there are. But so, too, are there people who are arrogant and greedy and covetous who don't have very much money at all? Possessions aren't the problem. Again, other Christians live in nice homes. We've got a lot of people who attend our church that live in really nice homes. Some of you guys live in really nice homes or your parents live in really nice homes. Is that a problem? Is that sinful? No, that's not sinful. In fact, so many of these people in our church open up their homes for ministry. There's Bible studies that take place in these homes. There's small groups that take place in these homes. They're using their, their location in their neighborhood to reach their neighbors with the gospel of Christ. They're, they're treating their, their zip code as a, a mission field. And so the possession's not the problem. Or think about what we're trying to do with 2020. We're trying to raise $25 million. That's not a small chunk of change, is it? It's not, right? And so as, as we're trying to raise that money, we're praying that God is going to bless people in our church financially so that they'll be able to, to give to that and to support that. And so if, if it was a wrong thing, if it was a sinful thing just to have money, we wouldn't be praying that. We wouldn't be asking for the Lord to, to bless people financially. But as it is, it's not a sinful or wrong thing just to have money or to have possessions as long as you're doing what you should be doing with that and using it the way God wants you to use it. But maybe you're saying, well, what does that actually look like? 
How should I be using my money? How can I make sure that if I have it, I'm not going to be somebody who's hoarding it or somebody who's uh, storing it up like this guy and, and missing the boat with what God wants me to do with it? A few scripture verses just to kind of give us an idea of how God wants us to, to use the money that we have and what he does when we do use it this way. First, uh, Proverbs 14.21 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but he says this, Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Blessed is he, happy is he, who is generous to the poor. So God gives us our resources to be able to, to meet the needs of others, to be generous to meet the needs of others. Second, Proverbs fourteen thirty one says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. So if we have the, the resources at our disposal and we're generous to those in need, that we help them out with their finances. And yes, we need to be wise about that. And that's maybe something that you can even talk about in your, your small groups and parsing out some of practically what that looks like. But in general, we as, as Christians should be a generous people with the gifts that the Lord has given to us. And, you know, that starts first and foremost with being generous with the church and giving to the church because the church is going to be able to take care of the people within the church that need that help and need that assistance as well. But how about also James 2? This isn't just an Old Testament concept. This is a New Testament concept as well. James 2, 15 through 16, this isn't talking as, about money as much, but it is in that it's talking about the possessions that we have, the resources that we have. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, he says, what good is that? Instead, God wants you to meet those needs. He wants you not just to say, be warm and be filled, but he wants you to give them a jacket, give them a blanket, give them a coat, and give them some food, and, and thereby meet their needs, and not just wish them well as you're shooing them away as something that's inconvenient for you. And so the Bible wants us to be generous with the gifts that the Lord gives us. He gives us these possessions to use them uh, to meet the needs of those who truly are needy. But that's not the only thing. The Bible also teaches us that if we do these things, the Lord's going to bless us with even more. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, I don't want any of your vats to be bursting with wine in here, but... What God is teaching here, and sometimes we get uncomfortable about this because this has been abused by the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teachers that teach that God says, if you give, God's going to give you a, a massive bank account, and you can name it and claim it, and you'll have the Ferrari. That's not what this is teaching. But the Bible does teach a principle by which we can live and, and operate in our lives, and that is, guys, if, if you commit to being generous with what the Lord has given you, he's going to honor that. He's going to bless you in return, and he's going to take care of you, and he's going to provide for you. Proverbs 11.24, Proverbs 11.24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another, he says, withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Again, the principle there, the person who's giving, the person who's, who's willing to be generous, the person who's willing to use what God has given them to meet the needs of others around them, God is going to be generous to them. But the person who's closing their heart off and saying, we're not going to give, we're not going to help anybody out with what we've received and what we've been given, says that person is going to suffer want and need. Proverbs 
Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. I love that description, a bountiful eye. Looking around going, okay, where can I, where can I give to somebody? Where can I use some of what the Lord's given me to, to bless somebody else? Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. And so it's undeniable, guys. God gives us possessions. Possessions aren't the problem. Money isn't the problem. What makes the difference is how you use it. It's neutral in and of itself. You can make the decision. Am I going to use this to glorify me or am I going to use this to glorify God? And that's what takes possessions away from being neutral and transfers it into the realm of being something that's good or something that's bad. Again, this is not the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'm not telling you that if you begin giving to this church or giving to the poor person or giving to that person, that all of a sudden you're going to get a million dollars. I'm not going to tell you that, but I am going to tell you that you're going to be walking in obedience to what God wants of you. And that's a good place to be and that the Lord blesses those that are obedient to him and that there are a lot of stories about people that have been generous and given a lot to uh, to help other people and the Lord has continued to provide for them and make sure that their needs are met now he's not going to give you things that are going to be an idol in your heart and things that are going to distract from your worship of him but he will continue to take care of your needs and make sure that that you are supported and taken care of as well It's the biblical principle. If you will work hard and give generously to the Lord, he will honor that. One more proverb. It's not on the screen, but it's Proverbs 28, 20. Proverbs 28, 20 says, A faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. And again, that's the difference between this and the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel says you can get rich now. You can have everything you want now. And that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you will work hard and if you will give generously, the Lord is going to take care of you. And that's really what what it comes down to. So Jesus introduces this parable and he's talking about this guy and he's got this massive crop. Again, the massive crop is not the problem. It's how he responds to the massive crop. Pick back up in verse uh, 18 there. The rich man said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns because remember the, the crop was too big for the barns that he had. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, and be merry. Again, Paul said the money is, it's not that, that money is the root of all evil, but what? But the, the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's what this guy's problem was. In other words, he's loving the gift, but not the gift giver. And that's where he's making a a grave problem. He's looking at his crop and he's saying, my barns are too small. And what should have driven him then to say, okay, so how can I make sure that I've got what I need, which is responsible, but then what, what I don't need, where can I give of that? How can I bless others with that? How can I give some of this back to the Lord who's given me this crop to begin with and, and honor him? Rather than having that mindset, he says, No, I I love the idea of just having plenty. So I'm going to build bigger barns and then I'm never going to have to work another day in my life. I'm going to be able to eat, drink, and be merry and kick back and relax for the rest of my life. It's interesting when he says, I will say to my soul, specific language that Jesus uses in this parable. He could have chosen a different word. He could have said, this man said to himself, he says, I I say to my soul, and that word is intensely personal and spiritual, right? You talk even to an unbeliever and you mention the word soul and their ears are going to perk up and they're going to kind of know that you're talking about something that, that transcends the, the temporal, that transcends the physical, right? So this guy's talking to his soul. He's talking to the immaterial and he's saying, soul, 
be comforted by all the things that the Lord has given you. You know, it's, it's ironic. He's comforting the immaterial with the material. It's a, a strange thing, but he's saying, you know what, my soul, the, the, the deepest part of me, that part of me that God has created to transcend the physical, this temporary life that I'm living, I'm going to choose to comfort that with things that don't transcend this world. This man, again, had, had made an idol out of material worth, out of the, the things that he had been given. He had neglected to use his riches the way that God wanted him to use them. Instead, he had focused on storing them up for himself. Instead of being a tool for God's glory, they had become a tool for his own glory and his own self-preservation. Point number two for us tonight is this. We need to use what God's given us for God's glory. Use what God's given you for God's glory. Not for your own, for his. The love of money is, is a massive problem because it gets that backwards. We use what God's given us from, for our own glory when we love money. You say, okay, but Pastor PJ, what does it mean to love money? How do I know whether or not I love money? A couple things here to think about. First, the love of money or the person who loves money always feels anxious about their finances. Now, that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have seasons of, of anxiety here and there, that you need to be reminded of God's faithfulness to provide for you. I'm not suggesting that. I'm talking about this is the person that's always thinking, okay, where's the next dollar going to come from? How much more can I get? How can I be more shrewd with what I already have? How can I uh, get more of a return on my investments? It's the, this person that, that they're consumed with wanting more, more possessions, more wealth, more money. And with that, second, the person who loves money always is longing for the bigger and better. They're, they're not content with what they have, with what God's given them. But they're always saying, you know what, I want more than this. I want the better thing than I have. I want to upgrade this. Third, the person who loves money hates spending. That's weird. You don't expect that, right? You expect somebody who loves money to love spending because they want to go out and buy all the things. But the person who loves money, a lot of times is pretty frugal because they're thinking to themselves, well, I don't like spending because I don't like to lose my money. I'd rather have my money. Fourth, the person who loves money doesn't give. Doesn't give. You guys were here when Pastor Mike talked about 2020. We challenged with 2020. He talked about his daughter and the fact that his daughter is, is giving a, a small amount, but she's giving. She's giving what she can right now to 2020. If, if you guys are not giving, and I'm not talking about 2020, I want to start just with the church. If you're not giving to the church right now, um, and you're a follower of Christ, you're in disobedience to what God has commanded you in that. And so I want to encourage you guys to, to, to be generous with your, your money. And again, yes, yeah, start with the church and then look at where else you can give whether that's to missionaries or to 2020 or uh, other people who have needs. Again, you want to exercise discernment on that, but at the same time, we can be generous as Christians. The person who loves money doesn't give. Fifth, the person who loves money never asks what somebody else needs. And this piggybacks on the idea of never giving. You're just not thinking. If, if you have a, a love of money, then you're looking at other people around you and you're not asking the question, how can I bless them with what God has given me? It doesn't ask what somebody else needs. Sixth, the person who loves money always looks to instead receive. 
you've always got your, your metaphorical hand out waiting for somebody to give to you rather than being willing to give to others. Seventh, with that as well, the, the love of money or the person who loves money is never satisfied. And that's why you're always looking for more, wanting to receive more, wanting to have more, wanting to get more. Instead of being satisfied with what God has given to you. And then finally, the person who loves money often doesn't want to work for it. Again, it's that how can I get rich quick? How can I fill my barns? How can I do as little as I possibly can to get as much as I possibly can in return? In fact, we've got a saying that says work smarter, not harder, right? I don't know that that's biblical. I don't think it is biblical. I get the the sentiment behind it. But the person who loves money often doesn't want to work for it. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, 24. Matthew 6, 24, just a, a chapter um, after some of the texts that we've been in about amputating our hands and, and feet and things like that. But Matthew six twenty four, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and, what's he say there? Money. No one can serve two masters. He's going to hate the one and be devoted to the other, or, or to be devoted to one and, and, and despise the other. No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and... And he could have thrown anything out there, right? You can't serve both God and power, God and prestige, God and relationships, God and whatever. But he says money. I think it's because it's such a temptation for, for all of us to say, I, I want to I love money. I'm prone to that. I'm tempted to that. And I think that's something that, that we can all be prone to. This man's problem was that he loved the crop that he had been given and didn't want to lose any of it. And so he was going to store it up and keep it all for himself so that he could eat, drink, be merry, and just kick back and relax for the rest of his life. But that's not what he should have been doing with it. He was using his possessions for his own glory rather than for God's glory. So you need to make sure that your, your number one goal with your possessions, whether you're rich or poor, is to use whatever God has given you to glorify him. To serve him, to, to be used to, to give to people who need it, to give to the church, to give to the gospel, to open up your home for people to come and meet in your home, to, to be willing to use your resources, whatever they may be, in order to do gospel work and to help the, the kingdom of God go forward. This one is hard for us, again, because we do, we live in an affluent area. And we live in an incredibly affluent country. And just because you may not come from a lot of money doesn't mean that this isn't a problem for you. If you're in the room tonight and you're patting yourself on the back because you've struggled to make ends meet, just be careful about how hard you're patting. Because all of us can fall into this trap of loving money. All of us can fall into buying the lie of materialism that says, if I only had more, I would be happy. And that is just a lie. Because you can get more. But if you get more, then you're going to say, but I, I want more than that. And more than that. And more than that. And more than that. I mean, it's, it's interesting because even when you, you graduate from college, you get a, a job, you're out in the, the, the world or wherever you are, and all of a sudden you, you get that first raise and you get that bump in your income. Well, guess what happens to your standard of living after you get that raise? Your standard of living bumps up too. And then guess what? You're still just barely making ends meet going, when's my next raise? And then you get that next raise, but then guess what happens to your standard of living again? It, it bumps up. 
That is, if, if you've got a mindset that says, I love money, I love things, I love possessions, and I always want more, and you're never satisfied. The world gets this even. Psychology Today wrote an article about this. And in this article, it says this, the happiness of buying or owning a new item rarely lasts longer than a couple of days. We can all say amen to that, right? You have your heart set on that iPhone that you've always wanted, that, that just got released, whatever, the iPad that just got released, a new car, whatever it is, and you buy it and you're, you're satisfied for a short amount of time, but then all of a sudden you get a scratch on it or the new one comes out or it breaks, something happens and, and all of a sudden you're, you're no longer happy with that. It says the sense of ego inflation generated by wealth or expensive possessions can be more enduring, but it's very fragile too. It depends on comparing yourself to other people who aren't as well off as you. That's true. And it evaporates if you compare yourself to someone who is wealthier than you. And no matter how much we try to complete or bolster our ego, our inner discontent and incompleteness always re-emerges. Again, our, this is a secular source, unbelievers, non-Christians. Our inner discontent and incompleteness always re-emerges, generating new desires. No matter how much we get, it's never enough. And that's coming from the world. As believers, we see that as well. And we say, yes, that, that's absolutely true. In fact, King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. He said, I made Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 8. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them, all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions, herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and the delight of the sons of man. And you can hear Solomon's refrain from the book of Ecclesiastes after this, can't you? What is it? Vanity. Vanity of vanities. Emptiness. Worthless. It doesn't satisfy. So the world says uh, our possessions won't satisfy. Solomon says, uh, you know what, I, I looked to the, my possessions to satisfy. And, and he reached to the same conclusion. It says it doesn't satisfy. It's, it's vain. It's pointless. It's worthless. Why? Because all of them are looking at their possessions as something that can glorify themselves rather than glorify God. So we don't have crops that we're gathering to throw in our barns, but let's ask ourselves some questions uh, about some things. That last phone that you did buy, how long did it last until you wanted the newer one? I mean, the iPhone X Max, whatever, 10S Max that is out now, that they're, they're already talking about the next one. And I even saw an article about the one that's going to be released in 2020 that's going to be better than the one that they're going to release later this year. And it's like, how, when does it stop, right? Until we want that next one. Or, or how about that car that you drive? Maybe you even worked really hard for that car that you drive and you bought it and it's yours and awesome. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm excited for you about that. But how long were you driving it before you noticed things that you didn't like about it? Or before you pulled up next to a, a nicer one at a stoplight and you were like, you know what, actually, that one's better than the one that I have. And it started to tug at you and go, you know, I'd rather have that one. Or your clothing, right? Y you like what you're wearing until you show up at church and you see somebody else and you're like, you know what, I, I, that looks pretty cool. I wonder where they got that. Man, I'm, I need that. I need that jacket. I need that shirt. I need those shoes. 
jewelry, video games, whatever it is. I mean, the whole video game industry is built on this, isn't it? I mean, the, the sports games that are released, they're released every single year. And they're just capitalizing off, off of that every single year. It's the same game. You do the same thing. You push the same buttons. And I'm preaching to myself because I like the, the baseball game on PlayStation, right? But you push the same buttons. But it's like, but there's different players. Dude, you can create your own players in there, right? But they're going to get you to go out and drop 60 bucks on it. Because it's going to appeal to that, I'm not content anymore. I need that. And so if you're trying to identify what's your crops, ask yourself, what are the things that grab your heart and make you feel discontent? What are the things that you find yourself thinking about them and saying, well, how can I get this? I have to have this. Man, that thing is so much better, so much cooler than what I have. What are the things that consume your thoughts in your free time? If you've got a minute and you're, you're on your phone, maybe you're opening up Amazon, what, what's in your wish list? What, what's that thing that you keep going back to? you going, man, I can't wait till I get this. I need this. I want this. What are you researching? Exerting effort trying to justify needing something. Um, and that's something where I, I was preparing for this. I, I nailed myself right bef- between the eyes on that one. You can talk to my wife. Sometimes I'm like, yeah, but, but this is why we need this, right? And I come armed because I've done all the research to show why this one's better than what we do have. But we don't need it. That's just selfishness. That's just sinfulness. That's just a love of money. That's saying I, I need to have this. It's wanting to use things for my glory rather than use them for God's glory. Those things that you just identified, those are are things that have mastery over you rather than being a, a tool in your possessions. God's, again, giving you the possessions. The possessions are the problem, but how you use the possessions is the issue. And so I want to spin your thinking for a second. Think about those things that we just talked about. Number one, your phone. God has given you the phone that you have. How can you use it for good as God would define good? And that's an important one. Not good as you would define good, but how can you use that phone that you have in your possession as God would define good? Or your car. How can you use your car for good as God would define good? Your clothes, the the clothes that you wear, the way that you dress. How can you dress in a way that God would consider that good? How about the, your room, your place, your, your apartment, your house, whatever it is? How can you use that for good as God would define good? And then your bank account. How can you use that money that's in your bank account right now in a way that's good as God would define good? See, those are the questions that we need to have. That's the approach that we need to take to our possessions, all of our possessions. Even if you think it's, it's, it's small, okay, how can I use that for good? Because God's given you what you have to glorify him. God hasn't given you to what you have. He's given what you have to you to use it to glorify him. This guy missed it. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Man, this guy missed it. From the world's point of view, everything had broken his way. His barns were full. He was kicking back. He was going, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to retire. I'm going to kick my feet up. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I don't have to work another day in my life. I'm set. 
But God's estimation was so far different than this man's estimation of himself. God's estimation of this man was that he was bankrupt where it counted. Point number three tonight, our final point is this. We need to pursue the riches that will last. Pursue the riches that will last. Jesus says this man is a fool. God says that this man is a fool. It's a word that means he lacks sense. He's ignorant. He's stupid. It's one of those shaking his head moments that God has at him, right? Why would Jesus be so harsh with this guy? Because he had missed the boat completely. He had put all of his trust in things that can't save and don't last. Rather than using them for for earthly good, which is going to store up heavenly reward as well, he was using them just for his own good, for his own self-centered wants and needs. You could get everything that you want the way that this man got everything that he desired, and yet where it matters, you wouldn't be better off than where you are right now if you are not, as Jesus put it so well, rich toward God. There was a show that used to be on MTV called Cribs. Any of you guys ever seen the show Cribs? Probably not. Maybe I'm I'm just talking to the wrong generation, but maybe you have, right? I think we should do CBC Cribs with the pastors and go in and see just the, the train wreck of the playroom that we have at home and things like that. But no, in this show, you, you'd go in and you'd see like everything was pristine and, and it, it, they would have their whips, their cars right out front in their driveway when the MTV Cribs crew rolled up and they'd have these just amazing cars and they'd show you the insides of the cars and stuff and then they'd, they'd go inside the house and they'd walk in and big dramatic like doors swinging open and, and everything's shiny and sparkly and they'd go in and they'd show you all their possessions, their, their pool tables and their uh, their giant TVs and their swimming pools. And every, I still remember the one with Shaq and it had his gigantic circular bed in his thing that was like 12 foot diameter. I mean, this thing was massive, right? And, and it's all about their possessions and their wealth and everything else. Even in their fridge, you open up the fridge and it's got like the expensive water bottles in the fridge, right? But they're all turned the label away so that you can't tell that who it was because MTV was too cheap, ironically enough, and all this to pay for the rights of, of that company. But that whole show was all about your value is in what? What you own. But none of that stuff could save them. And some of those people that were on that show are dead now. And guess where their stuff is? I have no idea. And neither do they. But it's not with them. It's not with them. And they had spent so much of their life amassing all of these things. And again, possessions aren't the problem, but so much of this is, is about, I want my possessions to demonstrate my worth. And if that is our mindset, then that is a problem. It's a massive problem. Because that's not what God wants us to do. God wants us to be rich toward him. Rich towards him. He tells this man, this night your soul is going to be required of you. And the things that you've prepared, whose will they B, when you and I die, uh, none of our stuff will matter anymore. So let's say you live to be 90 years old and you've got a, a, a Fortune 500 company under your, your name now and, and you're super successful in everything else. When you die, none of that matters anymore. Like Job said, naked I came into the world, naked I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're going to stand before the Lord one day completely exposed and the only thing that's going to be matter is whether or not you're rich to, toward God. What you've done with, with Christ in fact, back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, when Solomon's talking about vanity, vanity, all is vanity, and he's talking about, I worked for all these things. Guess what he talks about afterwards? He said, but yet I, I realize that when I die, I'm going to give them to a fool. I'm going to give them to some Yahoo, some one of these kids of mine that's running around. And what's he going to do with it? He's going to waste it all. 
He's like, so, so what am I really doing in all this? What am I trying to build? We can't put our, our worth there. So how do you make yourself rich toward God first? And this one's important. To make yourself rich toward God, first off, you have to repent and believe in Christ. You have to repent and believe in Christ and receive the riches of Christ's righteousness. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You want to be rich towards God? You, you have to first and foremost start with making sure that you have a right relationship with him through repentance, meaning turning from my sins, saying, I'm done with my sins, I'm not going to do this anymore. And faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, that he died for those sins on the cross and that three days later he rose from the dead. So faith and repentance is the first thing. That's how you make sure, number one, that you are rich toward God. But second, you need to be storing up treasures that will last beyond this life. Storing up eternal rewards that will last beyond this life. Jesus talks about that in Matthew chapter 6. Verses 19 through 21, he talks about store treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. How do I do that? How do I store treasures in heaven? Well, like we've been talking about tonight, the possessions that you have, one of the ways you can store up eternal rewards is by using your earthly possessions that you have in a way that glorifies God. It's a great way to do it. Second, you, you can do it by just being obedient to the Lord being faithful to, to live out what he's asked of you and commanded of you and desired of you in the pages of God's word. You're going to be storing up eternal rewards. And, and guys, that's not some ethereal concept that's never going to be reality. That's something that's going to be very real for you one day. Either your abundance of or your lack of reward. And it all comes down to how you're living your life right now and what you're doing right now. Third, like we've talked about again and again, be generous with the earthly riches, riches that the Lord has, has given you right now. Use your possessions that he's given you now in a way to, that honors him and glorifies him. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told a, another, used another metaphor, another story, another parable of the, the sheep and the goats. And he's talking about the, the final judgment, but he's talking to those that are the sheep that are saying, hey, when, what happened? And he, he's, he's going to say, you loved me well. And they're going to say, well, when did we love you? And he's going to say, well, when you gave water to somebody who was thirsty, when you helped the least of these, you were helping Jesus as me. So by doing that, you're going to be storing up reward for yourself in heaven where it ultimately matters, where it lasts. Proverbs 19.17, this is amazing. Proverbs 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, to God, and he will repay him for his deed. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him for his deed. Maybe not here and now, but certainly in eternity. If you live your whole life for the riches of this world, you may end up getting them, but you're going to outlive their satisfaction. From an earthly standpoint, but certainly from an eternal standpoint. Because you can't take it with you. My son Joshua, $700,000 to get him to the end of his life. Time's going to change that number for him. I guarantee it. It's going to change. It's going to change it for you as well. But regardless of what you believe you need to survive or to make, whatever the Lord does provide for you, receive it in a way that honors him. Use it in a way that honors him. Remember that the Lord hasn't given you to your possessions, but your possessions to you 
to be able to use them to exalt Christ, to glorify God, and to see the gospel continue to be spread. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for this text, thankful for the passage. God, we are thankful for all the good things that you've given to us, the gifts that you provided for us, the material things that you blessed us with. Lord, help us to be uh, not looking at those things and, and using them for our glory, not looking for our own worth and our own value in the things that we have, Lord, but looking at those things as instruments, as tools to be used for what you define as good. Lord, help us to do that. And may we do that well. Lord, you have given us so much, and we're so grateful for that. And we pray that you would continue to provide for our needs, Lord, and whatever abundance you give us beyond, above and beyond our needs, may we be quick to be generous with those things. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.